Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. All right, our sermon text for today is Romans 8, uh, verses 31 through 38. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm sorry. It's hard to tell when he's asking a question and when he's just specifically making a statement about Jesus in this passage. Uh, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Man. It's too many who's. So you guys know that passage in Daniel where the king wants somebody to tell him about his dream or whatever? And so he calls all the wise men in. And when he calls them in, they're all like, okay, cool, we'll tell you what your dream means. Just tell us what your dream is, right? And he's like, no, I want you to actually tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what the dream means. And I kind of have this idea that sometimes I want to do that at the doctor's office. I want to go in and when they're like, so tell me what's the matter. I want to be like, you tell me, you're the doctor. Right? Would that be awesome? Morgan, would that be awesome? Medical? No, not cool. It's kind of like this universal thing where most of the time, if somebody comes to us wanting a solution, the first thing we want to know is the problem, right? We want to find out exactly what is it that's bothering you. It's a universal desire. In order to get your car worked on, even at the mechanic shop, they're probably not going to just check your entire car to see what might possibly be wrong, unless you want to pay a lot. Instead, you tell them, well, this is kind of what's happening. This is the noise I hear. Here's where it's coming from. And then they provide a solution. That's just the way that it works. But I was at 
the revival up at Asbury on Monday, I just felt like I should drive up there. Um, I don't know why I felt compelled to go, but I felt compelled to go. Have you guys heard about the revival at Asbury, everybody? Yeah. Um, so what I noticed, what I observed was that it was very ordinary. It was very God-centered, and it was very unassuming in all, in all the right ways. And I kind of scanned the congregation as I was sitting there before I began to get more focused on prayer. And the interesting thing was that if you looked around at the people in the room, you never would have guessed that this was something that was happening on a college campus. You, you never could have put that together because there were people of all different ages, people who were clearly less wealthy, people who were potentially more wealthy, people from different races. It was a really diverse room full of people. And the reality is, as I looked around, there were people who were convicted of sin, there were people who were hoping for healing. There were people who were, I could see them pursuing healing in a relationship together. And I even heard someone ask someone else for forgiveness. There were all kinds of different people. And I can't begin to fathom what problems each of those hundreds of people brought into the experience. Right? But I feel very confident that I know exactly what the solution would be. I know exactly what the solution would be. And Paul, in this text, is going to help us to get our heads around that. I mean, what problems do you have in your life? What needs do you bring to the Lord today? We all have we all have concerns, we all have difficulties, we all have needs, we all have worries, we all have fears. And I can't begin to fathom which problems, which difficulties, which fears, which worries are in your heart and how many of those are represented, how many different kinds of fears and worries are represented in this room. But I'm pretty sure that Paul's going to mention your worry today, if none of the others fit the bill, I think anything in all creation may fit the bill. And he's going to go there today. And so the Apostle Paul had no idea what problems you may be facing or why. You may be dealing with doubt or you may be dealing with anxiety, unbelief, fear. You may be struggling with a sense of insecurity or inadequacy. That all those, although they're different, can be solved by what Paul's going to share with us today. So if you have your Bible, and if you're part of this church, you ought to know, we bring Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What I want us to see in this passage is really super simple. It's just this. You, beloved in Christ, are secure. You are, you are safe. 
Let's find out why we can be so confident in that. The first thing I want us to see is that we are secure, we are safe because of Jesus. It's not, it's not a generic open-ended security. It's not a groundless security. It's not a security that's based on your ability. It's not a security that's based on how much I like you. It's not a security that's based on your mom and dad's unconditional love. It's not a security that's based on anything about you. It's a security that's based on Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. And Paul actually addresses this starting in verse 34 where he begins to, he begins to ground his assurances in who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. Look what Paul reminds us of about Jesus Christ. The first thing is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus is the ground for our security. And here's the reality. There is no security outside the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every other claim to security is a farce and is at best temporary and partial. There is no security outside of Jesus Christ. Imagine, imagine having to deal with the fear of death outside of faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine having to answer questions about death without being able to talk about Jesus Christ. Where would you go? What would you say? What would you do? How would you deal with it? The best you could do is just to heap lies upon yourself, to try to give yourself some sort of comfort. Only because the most widely and incredibly attested event in the history of mankind has occurred... Can we have assurance in the face of death? And I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many eyewitnesses and so much transformation, so much evidence that this is true. And that's why we have security. So there's no security outside Jesus. And here's some things that Jesus did to give us security. The first thing he did is Jesus died. Jesus died, and here's why he died. He died so that you would not have to bear the punishment for your sin. It's a very specific kind of death. It's a death that resulted from your sin. Jesus' death resulted from your sin, and that's why you can take security from his death. It resulted from your sin, and it results in your forgiveness. It resulted from your sin. It results in your forgiveness. And so if, if God by his spirit has awakened you to the truth of the gospel, you can know that you're forgiven. You can know that Jesus has already borne the consequences of your sins. So you don't have to carry your sin around. You don't have to carry around the weight of guilt. You don't have to carry around the weight of the knowledge of your sin. And Jesus has freed you from that. And you can be secure in that forgiveness. So Jesus died. He also rose. Jesus rose, Paul said. What does that mean? It means that we can trust that Jesus knew what he was talking about. We can trust that Jesus really was who he said he was. We can trust that when Jesus said that he was going to 
make a place for us, that he meant that. We can trust that when Jesus said he's the son of God, he meant that. Jesus really is who he said he was, and the the resurrection proves that. If we only had the cross and no resurrection, then our security would be in question. We We would just have to take Jesus' word for it. We would just have to think to ourselves, well, he seemed really sharp. He seemed really kind. And it looks like he did a lot of miracles. So I'm going to hope that he's the way. And he would still check this out. This is crazy. He would still be our best bet. Even without the resurrection. Jesus would still be the best that we could do to try to find meaning and purpose and assurance in this world. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever thought about that before? Where, where would you go, right? But because of Jesus' resurrection, we have total assurance. We have perfect assurance. We can have perfect confidence in the Holy Spirit The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul has told us in this letter, now animates our lives with a new kind of life. The same kind of life that Jesus demonstrated in his resurrection. You have that, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have that. Whether you're two or 102, it does not matter. You, if you trust Jesus are animated, you are filled with a new kind of life. Now, what's this next thing Paul says? He says that Jesus died, more than that was raised, and then he says he's at the right hand of God. This is further evidence of our security, our safety, right? Remember that. It's further evidence of our security and our safety. Christ sits So what does that mean for us? It means that someone who loves us very much is very close to God. Someone who loves us very much is very close to God. Let's imagine that you were in trouble, right? And you weren't sure how things were going to go. And you were just trying to sort out how it was going to all unfold. And then you found out that Your best friend is also friends with the person who's going to determine your fate. Would you feel better about things? I would feel a lot better about things. I like to know somebody. I'm from a small town. Just kind of how it works there. It makes me feel better when I know people, you know. And that's exactly how this works. Look, Jesus Christ is your advocate. Jesus is pleading your case. He sits beside the father and he is on your side so you have access to God through him and he's not just sitting there right look at the next thing Paul says he intercedes for us he is interceding for us the resurrected son of God is praying for you The resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, is praying for you. He's pleading on your behalf before the Father. He's claiming you as his own before the Father. 
So you're secure because of Jesus, specifically and strictly because of Jesus. Here's the next thing. You're secure from every power. Secure from every power. Look at verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. What's tribulation? That's something bad, right? Distress. What's distress? You ever felt distress? Bodily distress? Emotional distress? Global distress? What about persecution? Famine? Food problems, right? Nakedness? Clothes problems? Danger? Sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life. And when you see Paul or anybody in the Bible start to use these word pairs, what they're actually doing is using a figure of speech. And what they mean is these two things and everything in between. Right? These two things and everything in between. So when he says neither death nor life, what's he talking about? Everything in the cosmos. So nothing. And then he says neither angels nor rulers, no kind of being in the whole world, nor things present nor things to come at no time. Right? nor powers, nor height, nor depth. In other words, nothing that exists anywhere, no matter how high you look, no matter how low you look, nothing, nor anything else in all creation. In case you're not getting the point, none of these things can separate you from this security. None of these things can separate you from this safety that's yours in Christ Jesus. You are secure. You are safe. All your fears... All your worries, all your anxieties, all your insecurities will come untrue. Because you are safe in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reason is God's love. Look back at the beginning of this passage. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So look what Paul wants us to realize about God's love. The first thing is it negates opposition. It negates opposition. Who can come against us if God's for us? Well, you know what? In your life you'll experience lots of people coming against you. In your life, especially as a Christian, you'll experience lots of forces opposing you. So Paul's not saying that's not going to happen. What he's saying is it's not going to matter. It is not going to matter. If I were late for church and I told you that the reason that I'm late is because I was impeded by the world's strongest kindergartner, would you grant me that excuse? Maybe you would. Maybe you're like, well, coach, you are kind of, you know, maybe. But the reality is, look, we need to have a strength 
that can stand against us if we want to have a good excuse for being impeded, right? So what Paul's saying, look, things might oppose you. You might experience all kinds of opposition, all kinds of obstacles, but it will not matter because it's as nothing when God is for you. And in what way is God for us? What does that mean? It means that he loves us and he has established firmly our future. He's working all things. Paul just got done telling us. He's working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God has established your future and it is for your good because he is for you. And that negates all opposition. What else does it do? Well, Paul says that it ensures provision. God's love ensures provision. You will never not have what you need for a life of obedience in Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Provision. It excludes condemnation. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It doesn't matter because the judge has already decided. The judge has already decided what he thinks about your case. You who are in Christ. It's settled. And that's because of God's love. I saw a Twitter argument the other day and it reminded me why I don't get on Twitter. It's just a mess, but... The argument was going like this. It was somebody talking about how we, we have to love one another. And every time anybody talks about loving one another, loving God, anybody goes, say, well, but first, you really have to love yourself, right? First, you have to love yourself. And then somebody will answer, well, I think, you know, when God said love others as you love yourself, I think that he's assuming that you do love yourself because that's just what we do. And that's like a a picture of how you're supposed to love other people. And then the person's like, well, but first, you have to really try to love yourself because, and then kind of explain, because if you don't have a basis for understanding what love is, then you can't love other people. And I thought to myself, well, he's right. If you don't have a basis for loving other people, then you're not going to be able to do it. But here's reality. (laughs) Our basis for knowing what love is, is not based on our internalized affection for ourselves It's based on the immovable, completely secure, and trustworthy love of God in Christ. Your love for other people is not going to be an overflow of your love for yourself. It's going to be an overflow of God's love for you. I think the Bible even says something like that. We love because he, yeah. This is why we have Bibles, by the way, right? So we can settle arguments quickly. 
That's a joke. Nobody yet. But your love for other people doesn't need your help being grounded. It is grounded in the love of God in Christ. In fact, your love for yourself, which is just part of being an ordinary, healthy human being, although sometimes we struggle, and this is what love for yourself looks like. You know what love for yourself actually is? Check this out. It's gratitude. (laughs) Thank you, God, for the life that you've given me. Thank you, God, for the way that you made me. I receive this gift from your hand. I am who you say I am. I have the body that you say I have. I have the mind that you say I have. I have the gifts that you say I have. It's gratitude. We give thanks to God for who he made us to be, what he's given us, how he's shaped us. And it's God's love in Christ that then, and it's God's love in Christ for you specifically, exactly how you are. It's not a general love of God that just includes you somehow, generically. It's a real, specific love for you and exactly who he wants you to become, exactly the unique ways that he's made you to honor him and glorify him and reflect his goodness in the world. It's it's specifically you that he loves. And that is... That is established and settled in Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. If you doubt it, look to the cross. But that love is the foundation not only for your love for other people, but your love for God and for your entire life. And I don't know what problems... And what difficulties every single person in here has brought into the service tonight. Maybe they're feelings of inadequacy. Maybe your career is not where you want it to be. Or maybe you're a mom and you're wondering, like, am I ever going to get back to having a career? Or am I going to have to get back to having a career? Or maybe you're wondering if your kids are ever going to obey you the way that you've been praying and praying that maybe they would. Or maybe you're wondering if you'll ever have the patience that you see in other people. Or maybe you're wondering if you truly are enough. I don't know what the difficulties are. But, man, I'm almost certain I know what the solution is. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's yours. It's freely on offer. And this is why we don't do some big rigmarole before we we receive communion. Well, we do do some rigmarole, but it's of a different sort. (laughs) We don't do some internal rigmarole where you have to get in some kind of shape right before you can come and receive communion. I'm not like trying to get you to grit your teeth and squint your eyes until you feel like, you know, I've I've got all the right thoughts and I've got all the right feelings and now I'm ready to go and receive communion. It's not like the prayer circle at a teenager sort of, you know, I don't even know what I was about to say, but (laughs) it's not about your feelings. 
You don't have to get into a certain state of mind. You don't have to get into a certain condition. What you have to do is come and receive because God's love for you is secure. And he's given it to us in picture form in these elements. So come and receive the body. Come and receive the blood. And be reminded that God's love for you is secure in Christ. His body is broken for you. His blood is poured out for you. And you are his by faith in his life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you that your love for us is established, that it's real, and that we are safe and secure in the accomplishment, the achievement of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.